0: Uh, we are in our series in the book of Nehemiah. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. You can also click online, go through our service page. Um, the, the series that we've we've been through, just so you are aware, uh, is called Trouble and Disgrace. Trouble and Disgrace. And I'll continue to remind you every week: God's people were in slavery for 70 years because they wouldn't listen to God. They wouldn't do what He asked. They had a better way of doing things, they had a better way to do relationships, they had a better way to do their lives. And God said, please stop. And he warned them and he sent prophet after prophet, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Haggai. I mean, you can go through the list of the prophets. God sent all these prophets because he loved them. He sent these people to warn them and say, don't live this way. I'm trying to help you. And if you keep living this way, I'm going to take my hand of protection off of you and you're going to feel what the rest of the world feels and experience fully what the rest of the world experiences. And you think that you're experiencing it now, but wait until my hand's off. Then you'll really not have any joy, peace. You'll be miserable. And he said, I don't want to do that, but as a loving father, I can't continue to support what you're doing because you're representing me to the world falsely. That's what God says to his people. You were supposed to be my people that followed me and then people could look to you and then you would explain to them who I am. And instead, You've created your own God, and you explain to people who that God is. And God said, I'm done. And so he took his hand off, and he allowed the the nation of Assyria to defeat the northern kingdom, and then many, many years later, the southern kingdom was defeated by Babylon. He asked Babylon to treat his people well. Babylon did not treat his people well, so God said, fine, I'll take my hand off of you as a nation. And Persia came in and wiped out Babylon, and the Persian Empire began. Now we find ourselves in the story with Nehemiah, who is a slave in the Persian Empire, which all of the Jews at this time, the Israelites, were. He is a slave in the Persian Empire to King Artaxerxes. He is his cupbearer. He has to make sure the king doesn't get poisoned. It's a big job. He has to manage from farm to table. For the king, right? We love to talk about that in Bloomington, from farm to table. He, he loves to, he, he manages that for the king, and he's responsible to, to be sure when that drink hits the table that he himself has tried it and isn't dead. That's his full-time job for a wicked king. For a king that respects the Israelite God, but doesn't believe in him, doesn't, hasn't surrendered his life to him. And Nehemiah does his job faithfully, and Nehemiah one day hears, we pick up the story, the first part, and Nehemiah says, the words of Nehemiah, when I was in the fortress of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant, the remnant is the group of people that Persia sent back, and we'll see that in a minute, they, that Persia allowed a group of people to come back and resettle in the land after 70 years, which fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah. And he's talking about that remnant. And it said they they had survived the exile. Many didn't survive. When God took his hands off, many of his people were slaughtered. We're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of his people slaughtered when he took his hands off. They said to me, this remnant in the province who survived... The exile are in great trouble and disgrace. And when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The king granted my requests, for I was graciously strengthened by my God. He fasted and he prayed, and then he asked the king, can I go back because my city's in ruins? Can I go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? And the king actually granted him. You have to remember, the same king granted Ezra the opportunity to go back and rebuild the temple. So this king is friendly. To the people of God. If you know the story of the Bible, we talked about this that Ruth was raised up, right? Ruth was someone raised up. She was in the fortress of Susa. She was the king of Persia's wife, which is probably why he was friendly to her. And Nehemiah, too, the next week, it says, God laid on my heart. Nehemiah said, I didn't tell anyone what God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. You know, he, he kept it in to follow God. Most of the time what we do is we just run out and tell everybody what's on our heart. We don't keep it in and allow God to do his work. And then he said, so I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. This is after he inspected the city. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned down. Come, let us rebuild Jerusalem's wall so that we will no longer be a disgrace. So he goes from mourning to being strengthened. Then after he's been strengthened, he allows God to do his work on his heart. And he commits to the work of God. And then we see what happens is once he commits to the work of God, the enemy begins to attack him full on, full out. And so he says, don't be afraid. Remember who God is and respond properly. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord. Fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. And last week, we looked at the fact that when everything was done, when the temple was complete, or, or when the, the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt in 52 days, a miracle. It was miraculous. It says, right here, the wall was completed in 52 days. On the 25th day of the month of E. Elul, when all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence for they realized that this task had been accomplished by God. So we go through mourning, strengthening. There's a fear. There's a what's gonna happen. Then you have to remember God. You have to respond to him. You have to allow him to put his things on your heart, give up your desires to have his desires. And when you do that, God starts accomplishing things that you don't even see coming. He begins to use you. To change things you thought were unchangeable. This week, as we pick up the story, once that begins to happen, we have a response to make. You see, we can become prideful and take a back seat and get comfortable, or we can be filled with joy and see that our God is our joy and our stronghold. The walls that we built are not our joy and our stronghold. The temple that we have, this church, is not our joy and our stronghold. Our joy and our stronghold is in him. And it's real subtle. Listen, you see this happen all the time. It happens in your life. You want to know how I know? When things are going really well and everything's going fine, how much do you pray? How much time do you spend just having joy about how awesome God is and life is and how strong you are and look at what God's done? Yeah, not much probably. When things start to get a little hairy, then you, oh, oh, yeah, I gotta do something. I gotta pray, God's... And see, that just tells us where our stronghold was. My stronghold wasn't in him. My stronghold was in my circumstances. And when I don't like my circumstances, I just try to go get different ones so I can be strong again and I can be happy. And that's what our world's taught us. Happiness is not found in God. It's not found in his church. It's not found in the things that he says is strong. It's found in all the circumstances around us. And it shows up in our life all the time. And Nehemiah knows it's gonna show back up in their lives if he doesn't, continue to push forward with what God wants. We pick up the story. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at the square. I love, this is just coincidence. Trust me, we didn't plan this. When Annie said, hey, I wanna be baptized and I asked her to pick a date, this was the date she picked that her parents could be here. So this was not planned. But look at this. It says they gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. This isn't the Watergate like the 70s, like they didn't gather for, you know, anyway. The, the, the Watergate. gate, this, this is the, the water of life. This is how the lifeblood comes into the city. Like, it's the recognition that we can't survive without water. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, this is Rosh Hashanah. This is the beginning of the holiest, one of the holiest periods that God said to celebrate in the book of Leviticus throughout all the Bible. You have Rosh Hashanah, you have the Days of Awe, and then you have the Day of Atonement. Rosh Hashanah, the trumpets blow, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. The trumpets blow, it announces it's a time of celebration and repentance. The people go into celebration and repentance, and then the Day of Atonement comes And on that day of atonement, God then asked them to make the great sacrifice to pay for the sins of the people. Jesus is our Rosh Hashanah. Jesus is the one that has changed us so that we can rejoice and repent, and he is our day of atonement. It's all fulfilled in him. And so here you have Ezra at the beginning. I love how God does this. It wasn't like they were like, hey, we got to get this wall done because Rosh Hashanah is coming. They just worked on the wall until they got it done. It wasn't like they were like we got to get it done because there's a they just did what they were supposed to do and it's always amazing how God can line things up perfectly in our lives if we'll just do what he wants us to do. Instead of worrying and trying to manipulate, I got to just walk with him. And that's what they did. Said so on the first day of the 7th month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of the men, women and all who could listen with understanding. Can you imagine? They haven't been in their city for 70 years. This time it's like almost 90 years. There hasn't been a Rosh Hashanah truly celebrated in Jerusalem for like 90 years. The shofar hasn't blown to announce repentance and announce God for 90 years. And it happens And they pull out the book of the law and they're demanding, we want to hear from God. We want to hear what God says because we want to do what God wants us to do because we have seen what he can do in our lives. Tell us what we're supposed to do because for 90 years, we haven't heard it. They are hungry for the word of God, hungry for it. This is three generations They're not taking it for granted. They're like, bring it out. Read it to us. And they even ask a specific person to do it. Ezra. Ezra, the one that led the people back from the temple. Ezra led the people back from the temple. He was the one earlier that brought the people back. They rebuilt the temple. Look, we'll pick up the story. Ezra 7. Now, Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord. Obey it and teach its statutes, ordinances in Israel. This is the text of the letter King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest and scribe, an expert in matters of the Lord's commands and statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, an expert in the law of God of heaven. Greetings, I issue a decree that any of you or any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including their priests and Levites who wanna go to Jerusalem may go with you and he sends gold and silver with them. This was at the 70 year mark exactly when God said after 70 years of slavery I'm going to send you back to the land. I'm actually going to have a wicked king who doesn't even know me be my messenger to put you back where you're supposed to be. That's crazy, folks. But that's our God. And Ezra obeys and it says that Ezra was someone who studied the law. He was an expert He loved God's law. He wanted to know God's law, which is why God chose to use him. Because he knew he would handle his character, God's character well, because in God's Bible is God's character. And so when we come back around, the people are like, we want somebody to read the story to us. Who do we get? Ezra. That guy knows his stuff. We want him to read. Can you imagine Ezra? thinking, is it worth it? He came back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. The city's still in ruins. They're being robbed. It's a mess. They're, they're still at war with the nations around them. He's waited for who knows how long at this point, maybe a decade, two decades, waited for the city to be rebuilt. He's run out of money. The people are discouraged. And now, finally, after like 15, 20 years of serving God in this city, wondering, is he ever gonna show up and fix things? It's fixed. And Ezra's like, yes, I would love to read God's law. I would love to read the book to you because I love God and I love what he's done. John says this, Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. This is when he's talking to the water, uh, talking to the woman at the well, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever, in fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. You see, the word of God should be like water to our souls. It's, when we read it, it should be like just so refreshing. And most of us, it's like, I don't even know how this helps me. I don't, I'm not going to drink it. I don't care. I feel fine. You realize that people get put in the hospital and they have to get an IV with like water bags because they're so dehydrated sometimes. Because they just didn't drink water. They forgot to drink. It happens all the time. Because we get so busy with life, we don't even take actual physical water for ourselves because we're so busy with our lives. And Jesus is like, This woman, she's so busy with her life. She's had one man, then another man, then another man. He looks at her, and the fifth guy you're with still isn't your husband. And she looks and she goes, He says, I want a drink. And she's like, You can't even get a drink. He's like, I've got living water for you, woman. You're settling for stuff. It doesn't matter. I've got living water. This is at the water gate. Not this story, but what we're talking about. That Ezra's reading the word of God saying, at the water gate, where we the whenever you want to take siege of a city, the first thing you do is cut off the water supply to the city. That's how they used to fight in ancient times. They didn't just go and attack a big city. What they would do is cut off all the supply lines. You would cut off the water supply to the city, however it got in, and then you just sat back and waited. A month, two months three months, six months, and eventually the people would be so hungry and thirsty and dying, they would just give up. And you didn't have to fight and kill anybody. They didn't have to kill you. It's a great strategy. It's what the Germans tried to do with the U-boats in World War II. Get on the coast. Keep the supply lines from coming in. If that can happen, we can win the war. It's a strategy one on one. And the enemy wants nothing more for you than to cut you off from the life-giving water of God. That's his goal. And Ezra's reading the Bible in front of the water gate saying, He's filling us right now. This is awesome. In Ephesians it says this now as the church submits to Christ so wives are submit to their husbands in everything husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy cleansing her with the washing of water by the word It's not about making sure you got insurance and making sure you got this and you got that it's about making sure that you're walking in the word of God Are those things unimportant? No because those things expose what we really believe right? You're sitting on the couch and just reading the Bible and being like, well, God told you this and God told you that, but you're not doing anything. That's not God, that's you being God, making demands from your couch, right? Like the armchair quarterback. Why did he throw that pass? Doesn't he know? Like, I don't think he can hear you. My wife has told me that before, by the way. Like, Matt, they they can't hear you. I don't know if you know that. like, oh yeah, they they really can't. (laughs) It's the same thing. Jesus said, they, they are looking at Ezra and they say, we want to hear the word because we want to submit to God. We want to know what he has to say because we haven't heard it. We don't know what to do. We're confused. And man, look at what God has done in our lives. It's almost like the beginning of salvation. When you come to Christ, you're so hungry. And then along the way, you just kind of, yeah, yeah. You lose your joy. You lose the stronghold of God because you, you start just focusing on other things. Paul here says, in a family, you've got to be focused on the word of God, which is the water of God. In Revelation, it says, and he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. This is the end of all time. He says, I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. Anyone who hears should say, come. And the one who is thirsty should come. Whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy the living water. It's a free gift given to you. Just like they're calling the people, they're blowing the shofar, but you know what? All the people could decide if they were gonna stay on their couch or get up and come listen to Ezra. It's a choice. I hear the shofar. I heard that shofar means there's trouble. We need to go find out what that is probably because we're hearing the sirens. Might wanna go down. Nah, it'll be fine. I got stuff to do. Like, you realize that whenever they do that monthly, you know, the siren goes off, you know, in your town, like they do it in our town, I know they do it in Bloomington, you hear the siren, you're like, what what is that? What is going on? Why is this, and you're like, oh, it's seven o'clock, it's the third Friday, okay. It gets your attention for a moment, and it's really scary when it goes off when there's like clouds and stuff, like there's a storm, and it goes off and you're like, oh no, Is something coming? And you're like, oh no, it's still seven o'clock on the third Friday. What would happen if the alarm goes off? Let's just say they sounded it all the time, three times a day. You know what would happen? You wouldn't listen. It'd go off and you'd be sitting on your porch and a tornado come through, suck you off and send you next county over. Living water. They are ready to drink deeply from the word of God and listen, so look what happens. Ezra opens the book in full view of all the people. He, since he was elevated above everyone, I, I wonder if this is how we got the idea of like having a big throne and getting a stage. And I, I don't know. But at this point, he's elevated above everyone. As he opened it, all the people stood up. He opens the word of God and then everyone just stands in awe. Everyone stands up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, the people said, amen, amen, and they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They stand up for the reading of God's word. They've got hands lifted up like, oh my goodness, look at what God's accomplished. Oh, we wanna hear, we wanna hear, and then all of a sudden, it's just like, boom, they're all flat-faced, laid out. I don't know if you've ever been laid out before God before it's happened to me a couple of times in my life. The first time it happened to me, I'll never forget, was right after I came to faith, about two and a half months after I came to faith, I went to a Christian conference. And it wasn't at a big moment. They were like showing a slide projector. Back then, they didn't have all this fancy equipment. It's like actual slides. And they were showing a slide projector, and a song was playing and, and it was pictures of the Lamb of God being slain. And I began to realize what Jesus had done for me, that He had died for me, and He was asking me to die and give my life for others. And I was overwhelmed sitting there in a room of a thousand people. And out of nowhere, I laid down and I went under the chair in front of me. It didn't matter what was going on around me. I was laid out before God, just thanking Him that He had shed His blood for me, that He had saved me. I was broken, I was a mess. And I'm laid out and all of a sudden the the song gets over and I kind of get up and look around and there is no one else. No one else is even like, even head bowed. Like everybody else is just like, and I got people staring at me. They're like, what just happened? Like you some kind of crazy charismatic? Like you're gonna start like running around the room or something? I mean, people are staring and I'm like, oh, I just responded. I wasn't trying to show off. I mean, I was in the middle of the room. It's not like the whole room noticed me. I didn't stand up and jump up and down and like draw attention to myself. I was flat out. Because I was just overwhelmed, not by my sin, but by the joy of what God had done with me and done to me and for me because of my sin. And I was i was just like, I just want to hear from you. And you're, ah. Guys, that's, you don't have to have that kind of emotion all the time. You won't have that kind of emotion all the time. The people of God hadn't experienced that emotion in 90 years, most of them. So there are generations that never did this, that God saved, that they knew him, they walked with him. But man, these people are hungry, and what a moment on Rosh Hashanah. The people are up, they're down, they're worshiping. It goes on, it says this, Yeshua, Bari, Sharbiah, Jamin, Ahab, Shabilitai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azra, Jozebad, Hanan, and Peliah, who were the Levites, these are the priests, these are the guys in charge, the priesthood of the Old Testament, explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. And they read aloud the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that people could understand what was read. This is incredible. Not only do you have Ezra speaking, but you have the people listening. As soon as they hear it, they're like, oh, you gotta hear this. I gotta tell these people. Okay, here's what he said. Here's what he said. Okay, I gotta gotta tell you. Like, that's my responsibility. As a priest, my responsibility is to tell people what God said. So I gotta tell people what was just said from God's word. I mean, these guys are running around, because this is huge. Not everybody can hear Ezra necessarily. And they are running around making sure that you know what God's word says. I got to let you in on this. I got you got to hear this. That's our responsibility in the New Testament when God says we are a priesthood of believers. He closed the temple. He closed the Levitical priesthood. He became our priest as the order of Melchizedek in heaven, the Bible says. And he says, you, if you know me, are now my priest to go out into the world. And I've given you my word. I've told you what to do. And it's your job to go out and tell others. And it's not tell them how you feel. They're not running around saying, let me give you my testimony. Let me tell you what I experienced. Let me tell you what made me happy. They're saying, this is what God's word says. This is what Ezra just read. This is what you need to know because God's word said it. That's what they're doing. We got most of the time people running around telling people what they've experienced and everything else. Is that wrong? Not necessarily. But you could have had an experience from bad pizza just as much as the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have help interpreting and understanding your experiences, we have a way of twisting those to our advantage no matter what. So we don't look bad. Or so we look worse so people will have pity on us. And here, they're just excited to be sure that people know the word of God. You gotta remember, God confused all the languages in the Old Testament. Now, they're going to make sure These people who speak all different languages, we find out later in the passage, know the word of God. They're telling them what they should know. It goes on, it says, Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. The people are broken right now. They're hearing the word of God and their proper response is, I'm in trouble. I don't measure up. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? They're not justifying themselves. They're not sitting back and going, oh, it's just so nice. God's giving me a big cuddly, give me a big cuddle noogie right now. No, that's not what God's doing. They are hearing God's word and they recognize that God is holy and awesome and they are in trouble. And so Ezra, Nehemiah, and the priests, seeing that the people are mourning, that they're broken, recognize, well, we don't want them to be discouraged. See, what we're told to encourage everybody, but first you've got to be broken to be encouraged. Otherwise, we're just encouraging sin, right? They recognize the people are broken, and so they say, don't mourn. He says, for all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. I wish this was my response. I wish this was our response in our culture today, especially our Christian culture. That when we heard the word of God, our hearts just, the the emotion, just weeping, just the excitement, the, the sorrow would just overwhelm us. And it says, then he said to them, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your stronghold. If we know Jesus, we recognize we have the living water. We don't need water brought in a gate. We don't need the water. We have the living water. Like I have a I can go out and I can drink and eat and celebrate who Jesus is because he's what he's done for me. But you, you're told that after you're broken. Not Jesus just wants you to eat, drink, be merry, and be happy and go do that. No, he doesn't want you to live depressed. He doesn't want you to live this way. He wants you to celebrate and then he, listen up. It's not just so you feel better about yourself. Your responsibility is to say, oh, man, I saw how broken I was, how holy God was. I knew I was in trouble. And then the priest and the pastor and the Bible says, I'm supposed to be happy. I'm supposed to have joy. I'm supposed to tell you about it. I'm actually supposed to share with you this bread that I don't deserve, that I didn't even earn because God kept me well, not me. And so I'm supposed to share it with you because, man, God's good. It goes on and he says, this is what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel the prophet said this, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says, I'm about to desecrate my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the delight of your eyes and the desire of your heart. Also the sons and daughters you left behind will fall by the sword. Son of man, know that on the day I take their stronghold from them, their pride and joy, the delight of their eyes and the longing of their hearts as well as their sons and daughters, on that day a fugitive will come to you and report the news, and this happened. This was the day when they went into captivity. And now they're on the back end of this when the captivity is over. You see, we're held captive in these bodies of death. We recognize that we have to be very careful not to find our stronghold in the things of this life. Our children, our relationships. But God asks us to be a stronghold for those people, And oftentimes, we're just looking for people we can get to be our stronghold and use instead of letting God be our stronghold and giving ourselves away to others, especially people who don't deserve it because none of these people deserved it. They were slaves. They did nothing to have a temple. They did nothing to have the right to be back in their town, nothing. God did it. God put it on the king's heart to send them back. They didn't earn it. They didn't buy it. And Ezekiel prophesied and now, they saw this happen. They saw their sons and daughters die. They saw the devastation and now they're seeing the rebuilding. And then it goes on to say, and the Levites quieted all the people. I love that. I mean, this is chaos. Hundreds of thousands of people, probably. And it's chaos. People are crying. The people are smiling. I mean, it's just, it's a mess. And so the Levites are like, shh, shh, shh like, be quiet for a minute. Like, they quiet the people and say, be still since today is holy, do not grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink, send portions and have great celebration because they had understood the words that were explained to them. They found their joy and stronghold, not in the fact that they had walls in a temple, but they were excited about the fact that I understand God's word. Listen, the only way you're gonna understand God's word is first you have to commit to him. You have to surrender your heart. You have to say, I'm not gonna read the Bible anymore for me. I'm surrendering my heart. And then the Holy Spirit will come into you after you invite Jesus to come in. The Holy Spirit comes in and begins to help you clean out your ears so you can hear. It begins to clean out the things in your life that are keeping you from hearing from God. And what we can do is God starts to clean out and then we're like, uh, no. I'm comfortable. I'm kinda used to having that nest in my ear of ear mites and it's, I don't wanna take it out because I'm used to it. And I know they crawl in and out sometimes and it's kinda gross to some people, but they're my friends and I don't wanna kill them. Right? So just leave them alone. Do you wanna hear? Well yeah, I wanna hear. But is there a way I can hear without getting rid of my friends the ear mites? Like is it? No! There's, there's no way other way. And so God says, look, I want to work in your life. And he says, I want to send you portions. I want you to hear. I want you to respond. But if, if your life's so full of other strongholds, if you're finding joy in everything else, if you're chased, you're not going to hear from me. Or you're going to hear falsely from me. You're going to hear other people say things, and you're going to follow them. On the second day, the family leaders of all the people, along with all the priests and Levites, assembled before Ezra the scribe, look at this. To study the words of the law. Oh man, do I long to be like this and do I long to have a church like this. This is why we just go through the Bible. This right here. I just want you to know the word of God. I want you to know the word of God because if you know the word of God, then you know who God is because it's in the word of God. It's pretty simple. And there's a bunch of people trying to go out and reinterpret what God's word and put a spin on it and say, oh, I was the old God. He's changed. What? He hasn't changed. He's the same. He's fulfilled things, like he's fulfilled things, so it's done, it's over, it's buried and gone. He's done that, but there's a difference between changing and fulfillment. Fulfillment is, I finished it, it's done, not, well, I'm just not gonna fulfill it, I'm gonna change so I don't have to fulfill it. That's not fulfillment, that's evil, God says. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, anything beyond this is sin. The Bible's clear on that. Can we be forgiven for sin? Yes, it's called repentance, (laughs) Sorry, I said no, and I meant yes. Sorry, I said yes, and I meant no. And you know what? I repent. I need to go back and be about the yes I said and the no I said, and I'm sorry, and oh, please forgive me. Not you just should be fine with whatever I do. And he looks, and it says they came back a second day. Can you imagine? You read the word, they're standing all day long. Listen, Rosh Hashanah happens in Israel on a day, are you ready for this? When it is 12 hours of sunlight, when Rosh Hashanah happens in the fall, it's a 12-hour sunlight day. That means it started, they got there in the morning at sunrise, because that's what you did on the holy days, that's what you did. They showed up at sunrise, and for 12 hours all day, they were there with all their kids. They had a lot more kids than we have. They were Israelites. They believed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and they didn't have birth control. There you go. They had large families, and it was 12 hours of chaos while the word of God was being read and everybody trying to understand it and explain it to one another. How many of you, after 12 hours of that, would be like, we gotta do that again tomorrow? Yeah, you'd be like, I'm glad that's over. I'm glad I can go to work today, honey. You got the kids at home, bye. <laughs> like, I'm out of here, have a nice day. Come back for a second day. All day. Twelve more hours. I just want to know God's word. I want to hear it. Help me understand it because I want to do the right thing because I love him, because I love you. I want to do the right thing. This is amazing what's happening. And then it says, so they proclaimed and spread this news throughout their towns and in Jerusalem saying, go out to the hill country and bring back branches of olive and wild olive, myrtle palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, just as it is written. Because after Rosh Hashanah, they would have the feast of tabernacles where they'd make these temporary booths to remember that their lives are temporary. And they would eat in them and they would pray that God, they'd leave a hole in the and it was the symbol of God who was gonna come from heaven and come down and eat with them and celebrate with them at their table. They are celebrating. They're obeying what God has said. They're so excited. They're stripping the country bare of any palm branch they can find to build these makeshift shelters so they can just eat together outside as a family. So 12 hours, 12 hours, then you come home and you're like, we gotta go find branches and we're gonna eat outside for the next eight days. Let's go. What? No, we're not doing that. I don't want to do that. Yeah, that's what we're going to do because we're worshiping our God. I love this. then it goes on. It says, the people went out, brought back branches and made booths for themselves on each of their rooftops and courtyards, the court of the house of the God, the square by the water gate and the square by the gate of Ephraim. They're building these makeshift huts everywhere. Try this in Bloomington and see what happens with the housing authority. They're going to be knocking on you. Take that down. Take that down. But if everybody's doing it, what are they going to do? They, everybody, its I mean, this would be crazy. This is what they were supposed to do to tell the people and to tell all the nations around them, we're just temporary residents. This house I have, it's nice, but the booth is more important. The temporary is what I got to remember. It's just Temporary. I'm here for a season. And they are celebrating it because that's what God's word said to do. On the 24th day of this month, the Israelites assembled. They were fasting. So now it's 24 days later. They've gone through the celebration and now they recognize we want to obey. Now they've gone through the joy and look at what's happening. They were fasting. They were wearing sackcloth. That's like a potato sack. And had put dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and confessed the sins of the guilt of their fathers. Boy, wouldn't that be nice in our immigration policy? I haven't heard any Christians talk about maybe we should go to the border and repent. Maybe we should go to the border and cry out to God. Oh no, 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 no. Let's make sure we build bigger walls and bigger houses. I'm not saying we shouldn't have a wall. They just built one. That's what they're celebrating was the building of a wall for protection. Walls are important. And if you say walls aren't important, then take the hinges off the door of your house and let whatever come in you want to come in. You're not going to do it. I get it. But the people who truly know God recognize God wants everyone to know him, and they weep and mourn over the sin that they've committed. That's what they do. They look and say, our nation has failed. Our nation hasn't done what's right. That doesn't give you the right to just come in and take what you want. Oh, no, 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 no. You need to repent too, just like I'm repenting right now. We need to repent together. There are rules, there are laws, and we need to to confess that we have broken the law of God and broken the rules, and we need his forgiveness. We're supposed to lead in that, not, well, we got to protect our stuff. Can't let anybody in here get our stuff. It's not your stuff. It's God's. Now, if you want to protect his stuff, and there's a reason for that, and okay, let's have that conversation. But they are literally confessing not their own sins. What does it say? Whose sins are they confessing? Whose sins? When was the last time you sat down and you were just broken over the sins of your father's? Mothers. Not broken as in you hate them. No, broken as in God, thank you that you forgave my dad. Thank you that you forgave my mom. Thank you that you forgive me. Thank you that you've forgiven us. Lord, we own that we're not perfect. We own our desperate need for you. We own that we need a country that will do what's right. And you're the only one that's going to bring that country. And we own all of that. And we live in this country. We're going to respect the laws and the rule of this country the best we can. But we're looking forward to you coming back, coming through the booth to meet with us. They are fasting and weeping. They have everything right now. they got walls. they got their temple. They've got everything's going well. And in the midst of things going well, they're all like, we need to really repent. When things are going well for us, we brag about how God's obviously with us. Not them. It goes on, it says this. When they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth time of the day and spend another fourth of the day in confession and worship to their God. A fourth is like, again, like three hours, four hours. And it says, Jeshua, Benai, Kemedil, Shabiah, Buni, Sherbiah, Bani, and Shania stood on the raised platform built for the Levites and cried out loudly to the Lord their God. This is just beautiful. Goes on, it says, Then the Levites... Jeshua, Kadamiel, Bani, Hashabiniah, Sherbiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethiah said, stand up. Stand up. Praise Yahweh your God from everlasting to everlasting. Praise your glorious name. That's what we did at the beginning of the service. And may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. In other words, may we praise you above any other praise we make. Let me ask you. If I went on your Facebook page, if I went on your social media, do you praise God above all the other stuff that you've praised for the last year? Would anybody even know that you praise God? Or would they see all kinds of other praise? Praise for rest, praise for vacation, praise for your kids, praise for your marriage, praise for your job, praise for this, praise for... You'd have the names of all kinds of people that you want to give glory to But we don't want to praise God because you know what happens when we praise God? We get outed. Once we let that out, once they know we're a Jesus follower, once that happens, you can't take it back. Once they know that you believe there's a real heaven and a real hell and you're going to one of those two places, that ain't a comfortable conversation after that. People don't forget you told them that. And so we're hesitant. They're not hesitant. They are standing up to give him the praise that's due his name. Let me ask you this morning. Annie came, she went through the waters. They read at the water gate. Jesus offers living water. We we are faced with blessing or curses. We're looking at this book of Nehemiah. The people have walls. They have, it seems like everything is going great. And when the people hear the word of God, they stop focusing on what they have and they start focusing on who he is. Let me ask you, are you focused on what you have or what you want or are you focused on who he is? Because if you're a Christ follower, if you know him, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then it becomes about this relationship that these people are having with God, that they're leading one another to have with God that's just beautiful. It's the relationship that Annie has had with our church. It's the relationship of, I want to be baptized. I want to do this. I want to declare. And she's overwhelmed by emotion sitting there knowing that God did this. This wasn't me. Her parents, I've talked to her dad for sure elated that, that God is doing this, knowing that they've failed. I know i failed as a parent. I'm amazed my kids walk with God after I raised them. I'm serious. I've failed miserably. But I keep pointing them to say, you do what God says. I'll try to do what God says. If you see I'm not, confront me. Let me tell you, when your kids get into their 20s and they're reading the Bible on their own and they can really understand it, get ready because you're going to get confronted. It's a different relationship. When your kids are looking at you and saying, hey dad, what about you do it? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I messed that one up. I wish you would have told me that when you were like five. That would have been helpful. <laughs> like, I didn't know when I was five. This is the beauty of us going out and praising him from everlasting to everlasting. That everything else does not last, but he lasts. And then saying, God, we want to do things your way. Can I just tell you, Mark's going to speak next week. He's going to lead us further into this worship of God that's amazing. When you read the rest of this part of Nehemiah, it's amazing what they say. They remember God. They go back and they say to God, I ended with you, dot, dot, dot. They tell him, God, you, all of the joy they have because of him, all the things he's done to be their stronghold, all they're doing is just praising him for the next chapter and talking about how stupid they were and how great he was. That's what they do. Like, it's amazing. Let me ask you, have you come to the place where you have said, you know what? I'm putting a marker down, and from this day forward, God is going to be my, my joy and my stronghold. I'm gonna stop chasing, and I'm gonna make him first place. I'm gonna love his word. I'm gonna make his word first priority in my life, and I'm gonna to begin to truly get to know him because I'm in a relationship with him through what Jesus did for me on the cross because I know that a resurrection is company, coming. I live in this temporary booth that God has decided to come through and meet with if I know him. And my response is to go out and share and invite other people to the table. That's what our job is. If you've not made that commitment, I pray you would. And if you're someone that's kind of lost that zeal for God, would you go back and read this and take some time to do the things that they did? To confess, to, to rejoice, to look back over your life. Read the rest of chapter nine in preparation for next week. Tell God how great he is and thank him. Even if you don't feel like it, do it by faith. And see if he doesn't change or at least show you some things about who he is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be gathered together in this place. and Lord, I, I'm so humbled by this story. I'm so humbled by Ezra and I'm humbled by... Nehemiah and their faithfulness to you. They're seeking you. And God, I I continue to stand in awe of who you are. It's not what we've accomplished. It's not what we've done. It's your joy and strength that changes us. And so, Father, I thank you that you've continued to be our joy and our stronghold, that we're not going to find it anywhere else in this life. I pray this morning that if anyone here doesn't know you, if they've not surrendered to you, I pray today would be the day that they do that. I pray today would be the day that they would ask you to come into their life. They would quit focusing on what they don't have and they'd finally say, I'm done. I surrender. I'm yours. And Lord, for those of us who have done that, who know you, I pray that we would have the heart of Ezra and the priests and the people in this passage that we would long to want to know you. We would long to want to know you specifically through your word because your word is true. And Lord, we get serious about reading it, serious about following it, serious about being held accountable to it by others just as we read in this passage. And so Lord, we thank you that you are our joy. We thank you that you are our stronghold. And by faith, we declare to you our worship and our allegiance. In your name, amen.